0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at
1: www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. We're going to be reading from Exodus 12, 28 through 40. And if you're reading from the Bible that's under your chair, it starts on page 35. It says, Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh, and Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt. But there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord. As you have said, take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened from kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. for They had asked the Egyptians for their silver and gold, jewelry and for their clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they... Let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leaven, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. This is God's word. Let's pray and get good moving. We're going to be in Exodus 12,
0: 28 through Concentrating on 40, though technically our passage runs all the way through the end of the chapter. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your people that are gathered here. I thank you that we're not just a bunch of separate people that come in here this morning. But uh, if we call you Father, if we have placed our faith and trust in the sacrifice of your son on our behalf, then uh, we call each other brother and sister. So this is a family reunion every week. I pray that uh, we'd be aware of that as we study the text. I pray that we'd be aware of your presence as we gather here this morning. I pray that you would lead us and guide us. That you would uh, meet each person where we are. That you meet me where I am. Speak to us, Lord. Glorify your Son in the name of Jesus. We pray. Amen. So moving is the worst. I, uh, uh, I mean, it just it just is. I, 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 I there was a, there was a period of time where I felt like. Uh, all my friends were just moving on purpose just so I had to give up my saturday to help them like load trucks and unload trucks and i thought someone were kind of punking me because it was like they, they would they wouldn't just move from an apartment to another apartment or a house to another house like they would move to a temporary place and so then we would have to put stuff in the temporary place and in like a storage area and then when they moved to another place then they would have to move from here to there and there it was just like chess is always like, are oh, you're just trying to get as many Saturdays out of me as you possibly can. But it, it, as bad as it is helping a friend, it's worse to be doing it yourself. Uh, my wife and I, we, the last movie we made was about seven years ago. No, she says, no, it's not eight years ago. About, I'm saying seven, she says it's more than that, but I'd say it's about seven years ago. We were in the prior house about six years. now. That house we moved in, it was just her and I, it was fairly early in our marriage, and we moved out when Sophia was just under a year old. So we had accumulated a lot of stuff, but now, since that time till now, we have now have two kids, and have added an additional, you know, however, depending where you talk to me or Megan, seven or nine years of stuff to be accumulated, and I was walking into my house thinking... How terrible would it have to be if I had to move all this stuff right now? Our friends, the Millers are getting are actually in the middle of this process already they are and they 're going to pump me because they 're moving into it at least one temporary place. It might be more than that just to see like how many Saturdays they can get out of rain that 's a very selfish way to view it, but I think but, but moving is just not a lot of fun and <laughs> And, and no matter how much you're looking forward to where you're moving to, there's always a process of saying goodbye to where you're coming from. So if you're like leaving high school and you're going to college and you're really excited, there's, as much as you're looking forward to the, to the, the process of where you're heading, you're, there's still a little bit of bittersweet in there that you're saying goodbye to your high school year years and your high school friends, if you got a better job and you're excited about a new area you're moving to, as excited as you may be, there's still a process of like going through, like unpacking, like, okay, I, I, I love this new job, but I'm leaving this area that I love, or I'm going to be away from family, or you're moving towards family and you're going to be away from somebody else. And so there's always like, even if it's just a job, no matter what kind of transition you make, there's always something that you're saying goodbye to coming out of. Now, the Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years. As the text tells us, 430 years to the day they had been in Egypt. They had accumulated a lot of stuff. When they first came to Egypt, they were just basically a family, a clan, a man and his 12 sons and their wives and their livestock. It was a a pretty big operation, but it was just a family. Now, 430 years later, God has blessed them and whenever they're leaving, there's 600,000 men plus women and children that are leaving the nation of Egypt. Can you imagine that? And then not only are they leaving this nation and you're negotiating, like each household is having to negotiate leaving and gathering all your stuff together, but it's last minute. Did you get that feeling in the text that was read this morning? Like in the middle, like they... Moses said this is coming, but it happens in such haste, Pharaoh calls them, Aaron and Moses, in the middle of the night and says, get out of here like now, I mean get out of here. And so word has to spread through the Israelite community, we're going now. You don't even have time for your bread to leaven. Your bread's in the bowl, so the bowl in your cloak, we're getting out of here, we are leaving at this very moment. Can you imagine the mass confusion that is going on as you're trying to get your household and your livestock, get them all out of, get them all together, all out of your house, and then all have to move out of Egypt together, They were no longer just a small clan of people. They were becoming a nation as they were leaving the nation of Egypt. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, now these things, it's actually speaking about these things that happened in the Exodus. Now these things happened to them, that's the Israelites, as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. What it's saying is that these people lived through this, but one of the purposes that God was doing was that he wasn't just freeing the people from Egypt to get them out of there. He was also providing for us a picture of what it means to be a believer. Think about it. The people were enslaved in Egypt, number one, freed by a great sacrifice, led out by the presence of God to a land he promised to them. If you're a believer this morning, we see the same thing in our salvation. We were enslaved to sin and death, freed by the unimaginably great sacrifice of Jesus, filled with the presence of God, and promised a future land. So as we see the Israelites go through this exodus process, what we're seeing is God giving us a picture of what he's doing in us and what he's doing in the church. But here's something interesting about this. With all that God has done, both for the Israelites here, he decisively frees them from Egypt. He causes this great calamity to come upon the nation of Egypt, so much so that Pharaoh says, you got to get out of here. And he has decisively freed the people from Egypt. We're going to see just how decisively in the next week or so. He has done the same thing for you and I. The sacrifice that he paid on the cross through Jesus Christ decisively pays for your debt decisively frees you from the power of sin and death. But no matter how decisively that action is, don't we find that it's still a journey? Just as whenever I'm leaving one season of my life or leaving one place and moving to another, I have to start to think differently going forward, the same thing happens to us as believers. We carry with us Loads of baggage, loads of old ways of thinking, which is what the Israelites come out of Egypt with. They come out of Egypt thinking like Egyptian slaves, not like the people that God had chosen and had redeemed and were delivering to a promised land. God's chosen people. We're gonna see them act all the way through the book of Exodus like a people who aren't really sure if they actually wanna serve God himself. They are tempted immediately following God's great deliverance and as we're coming up and crossing the Red Sea and getting them out of Egypt, they're immediately tempted as soon as Moses leaves them for a few days to melt all their gold down and build a calf and worship it. They're thinking like Egyptian. They're thinking like not just Egyptians, but Egyptian slaves. And for you and I, we still have that way of thinking going on in our, in our mind even though no matter how long you've been been a believer, it may have just happened last week or it may have been 20 years ago, we still have ways of thinking like when we were part of the kingdom of darkness, when we were part of the world. That's why I find it really interesting. Here we are in chapter 12. And as we cross chapter 12, chapter 13, like God's freed his people from Egypt. And there's a lot more in the book of Exodus left. God spends more time in the book of Exodus dealing with his people than actually freeing them from the bondage they were in for 430 years. And that's like you and me. No matter, you may have become a believer early on in your life, you may have been just become a believer, but God's going to spend your entire rest of your life teaching you what it means to be His child and no longer think like an orphan. You see, what we see in Exodus is that it's not, the book of Exodus isn't just about God getting his people out of Egypt. It's about God getting Egypt out of God's people. We're on that same journey. God isn't just freeing us from the exterior consequences of our sin. He is taking us on a journey to free us from the inner turmoil of sin itself. We're gonna see three things in this passage we're on, that we, like the Israelites, are on a journey out of Egypt. We're on a journey with a people, and we're on a journey with and to God. We're on a journey out of Egypt. We're on a journey with a people, and we are on a journey with and to God. First of all, we're on a journey out of Egypt. First of all, the, thing, the first thing that has to happen for God to Uh, lead his people to the promised land to the place that he has he's taking them to is they have to leave Egypt. They have to get out of there. And So as they're leaving, we're to see them go through this whole process of having to reject this whole kind of years of thinking that had been ingrained into them, to think like a slave, to think like an Egyptian. Leaving requires, first of all, rejecting where we have been. Rejecting the old guard, the old answers, the old way of thinking. It's like this. I remember the first time I heard somebody say, when you get married, you aren't just saying yes to your wife or to your husband. You are actively saying no to everybody else in the world. Think about that. That's not the way our society sees it. Our society sees it like I'm saying yes for now until maybe something better comes along or this falls apart. But the way God sees marriage is whenever I say I am marrying you, I'm making a covenant with you, then I'm saying, I am actively saying yes to you and actively saying no continually to everybody else in the world. All other options are now off the table. And us growing as believers, first of all, requires us leaving Egypt. And actively, as we actively say yes to God, that you are taking me out of the world, out of my old way of thinking, I'm following you alone. I'm saying I'm following nobody else. It means I'm actively rejecting any other person or thing that I could follow. But you see, Egypt always, there's like a a siren song playing in the back of our head back to Egypt. It always looks and sounds better than it actually was at the time. We're going to see in the book of Exodus as we go forward that God's people are continually tempted to go back to Egypt. They continually complained to Moses and saying, hey, you brought us out here, and think about this. You brought us out here, and you had 10 plagues rolled across Egypt. And the last one was decisive and got us out of here. We're gonna see, you guys already know the story. He leads them by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. He leads them through the Red Sea on dry land. He causes manna to rain from heaven every morning. So they have magic heaven bread every morning that they gather off the ground to eat. When they complain about that, they say we would like some meat. He causes a huge flock of quail to come and land right in their midst. So all they had to do was, Take the, take the quail and eat it. They get thirsty. And out of a rock, a river flows to enough so that 600,000 men and women, plus women and children are able to drink in the middle of the wilderness. And in the middle of that, the people keep saying, why'd you lead us out of Egypt? At least we had potatoes there. At least we had carrots there. I miss carrots. And you and I will always be uh, seduced by the siren song of our old way of life. Because Egypt offers a false security. As the people get out and they feel naked and open. Before they were, they were slaves, but at least they were slaves in the most powerful country in the world. They were personally protected by the most powerful military power on the planet. And now they're out in the open, exposed. They have no active army. They have no shelter, no buildings, nothing to call their own. And as they are out there in the middle of the night or in the hot day, they start to think, man, at least... I may have been a slave, I remember something about that, but I remember there was a security back there that I could count on. And you and I will always be tempted to go back and trust in the false security of Egypt or the false security of the world. That looks like different things for each of us. That may be money for you. That might be possessions for you. That might be a good job and all those things are great. But when we trust in those things as our security, It will always fail us. We're always constantly seduced by the siren song to trust the false security, go back to the false security of Egypt. We're also enticed to go back to the meager provision of Egypt. Because even though the provisions for the Hebrew slaves were meager, at least they knew where it was coming from. They could count on it. They could tangibly feel it. And you and I will constantly be tempted to, to go back to the provision that the world gives us, to, 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 think, to, think, that, to think that my life revolves around uh, the things that I own, the, the things I can, the, 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 uh, the job that I have, that I know that it's gonna, a certain amount's gonna come in so that way I can pay my bills and I can provide for my family and have leftover to buy whatever it is I wanna buy. Whatever those provisions are for us, we are tempted to trust in those things rather than trusting in God being the one who provides the provision for us. And he acutely drives that into the life of the Egyptians as we're gonna see in the future by saying, hey, every morning you're gonna have to trust we're gonna give you manna. That's why Jesus says that we should trust him each day for the daily bread that he gives us, not in our own strength. We're tempted by the siren song of The fleeting comfort of Egypt. They're like, hey, I was a slave, but at least I had a house and a fireplace back in Egypt. And you and I will constantly be tempted as believers to trust in and to build our lives around the comfort that this world provides. But the truth is that the comforts and luxuries and pleasures that this world provides, though they are comforts and luxuries and pleasures, and I loved them as much as anybody else, but they are fleeting, and they are temporary, and we forget that they're all that. That building our life around those is for slaves, for people who are left in Egypt, for people who are trusting in the world. God provides deliverance; He leads them out of Egypt, and He does it alone. They don't have to raise a finger. Think about it, every single thing that God does to lead them out of Egypt, God provides it alone. He gets all the glory. But then if you're gonna journey out of Egypt, then we must respond. The the, the text is quiet on this, and so I don't want to say this happened if it didn't. But it is very possible that some of the Jews said, You know what? This is too risky. I'm not going. I'd rather stay here. You guys are going out into the desert. You guys could very well die there. You have, you're, go, you're leaving literally with no provision. Now I'm gonna stay here. God provided deliverance, but they had to respond and say, actually get up when the call came and gather their stuff and put the bread bowl in their cloak and get out of there. And we must respond too. Our response is the proof or movement of our faith. And in doing so, we have to reject all other security, all other provision, all other comfort that Egypt, that the world provides for us and say, we're leaving, we're getting out of here. God has the journey, first of all, is a journey out of Egypt. Secondly, we're on a journey with a people. God alone secured salvation for his people. The people were rescued. They had to leave in haste. They didn't secure it themselves. They hadn't and couldn't negotiate the release. But, it's, but even though they had no power as slaves, God did all the work, they leave Egypt with all the trappings of a military victory. You had a humbled leader. You had a power that met all their demands. You, you notice that in the, this, the, the passage that James read for us when Pharaoh says, Whatever, just as you said, just as you said, just as you said, get out of here, go. Go worship your God, leave, just as you, just as you said. You had casualties and you had plunder which at this time in the world were all the signs of a military victory. A humbled leader, all your demands were met, there were casualties, and there were plunder, but the people of God didn't have to raise a finger. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, that's the position that you are in. God cares for you and loves you so much that he alone secured salvation for you without you raising a finger. The only response is a response of faith to that grace that he has shown you. God alone secured salvation for his people. But then, look at this. It wasn't just for his people. It wasn't just for the heirs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that left In verse 38, it says that, um, it says a mixed multitude also went up with them. A mixed multitude. So there were people around them who saw God doing these amazing things on behalf of the Israelites. And they said, we see what's going on here. You serve the one true only holy God and we want in on that. And so, what we see God doing is he creates an inclusive, exclusive people. God creates an inclusive, exclusive people. It's inclusive in that it says, whoever wants to come in, come in and join us on this exodus out of Egypt. But here's the exclusive part you have to leave Egypt. Right here in this passage, God lays out, he says, uh, after the, the part that uh, we read this morning, when he goes over the institution of the Passover, he lays out, this is exactly how you're doing. You're going to observe this. And this is, it, certain people can't, or strangers and sojourners, they can't take, partake of this part of you unless they're circumcised and they can. And so, the, so what we see is, he says, everybody come in, but this is the way that you come in so we see the the church, God's people, is an inclusive, exclusive people. The doors open, anyone who would come, come. But here's how you come, only through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Only through professing him alone as your Lord and Savior and rejecting every other salvation that you would try to find. Every other's, quote, Lord, every other false God. So we see that we're an inclusive, exclusive people, but we also see that God saves a people. God never saves persons alone. God always saves a people. Because no matter what some preachers might tell you, it wasn't you alone that Jesus thought of whenever he was on the cross. Jesus came to build a family, a nation, a people for God. And there is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian, which is good news and bad news. It's good news because it says you are never alone. On this journey out of Egypt, he didn't take individual people, he took a people together. There was always people to find encouragement with. There was always people who could take different jobs along the way to help the the people make this tough journey to the wilderness. You're never alone. But the bad news is, you're never alone. You're never free to just run out and do whatever you wanna do. We need each other. We are part of a people because we are a new family. We are a new nation. And what that means is that we, just as the Israelites have to learn what it means to become a new nation, actually become a nation at all, we have to learn what it means to become a new nation. These Israelites, all of a sudden, they're now living in a camp close to each other. They know what is going on all the time with each other because they have no permanent structures, there's no walls. So if you're camping between, beside another family, you know when they go through a season where mom and dad aren't getting along. You know and people know if your kids are the rowdy kids in the encampment. There's no hiding. In the kingdom of God, in the family of God, there's no hiding. We're on an exodus out of Egypt, out of this world together. We're going towards something and we take this journey together. Because we need each other. The Israelites were gonna be aware of just how much they needed each other as they go on this journey and they realize, hey, I can't do everything. We have to go draw water. We have to gather the bread. We have to watch my kids. We have to, there's all kinds of things that would be going on with the sand everywhere. There's so much work to do. They had to have each other to help. And if you and I are gonna make this journey as believers We have to have each other. We have to be close enough to each other that we know what's going on in each other's lives. We have to learn what it means to become a people. We are on a journey out of Egypt. We're on a journey with a people. And then we're on a journey where are we going? We're on a journey with and to God. Think about it. The journey was begun by and led by God himself. Moses was the leader leading them out. But all the way through, we're clearly told that God gave them instructions. This is what you do. This is how you're going to go. He led them personally out. In fact, we see in chapter 13 that there were pillars of cloud and fire that he literally led them through the wilderness by. That when it was time for them to leave, the pillar would rise and it would move and they would follow the pillar and then when it would stop, they would stop. God leads them, we're gonna see uh, coming up, he leads them to, on purpose, a dead end at the Red Sea. He led them there. Himself in order to show them his power and his glory. And God is personally leading his church. If you became a believer, it wasn't because you were smarter than anybody else and more clever than anybody else. You had figured it out. God breathed his breath into your heart and gave you life where there was no life before. You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins And Christ gave us new life again. And if you are here this morning and you're not a believer, that is your hope. That this morning, my prayer for you is that God would breathe into your soul and you would place your faith and trust alone in Him and His provision for you. God began the trip for them, He began the journey by leading them out Himself. But He wasn't just leading them on the journey, He was leading them to Himself. Because see, God wasn't just leading them from Egypt to the promised land. That could have been a short journey. Uh, Depending on how fast the camp would have gone, the the estimates are somewhere like it, it may have taken, it could have taken 40 days for them to get to Egypt to the promised land. In fact, we're gonna see as soon as he brings them out of Egypt, there are two ways they could have gone. And God, there was a short way through the, Philist, through, the, through the Philistines' land and there was a obviously a blocked way at the Red Sea and he took them on purpose to the Red Sea. Do you know why? Because God's less interested in getting us to a particular destination than he is showing us that he is the destination. The treasure isn't making it to a land flowing of milk and honey. The treasure is finding God himself. He's the treasure. There are no possessions, no great marriage, no great kids, no great job, no great house, no smooth, peaceable life that you can have that will fill all of your longing and desires. Only Christ himself, God himself is the treasure. So God is determined on the journey out of Egypt with his people to show us that nothing else will satisfy except him. It's a journey to God alone. He was leading them to worship him alone, to treasure him, not what he provided. And that's why God is leading you and God is leading his church in the way he's leading it. Do you know why your marriage is never quite perfect? Do why you're never quite satisfied with your house or your job or your kids or your friendships or your relationships or where you live. Because God won't let any of those things satisfy you outside of himself. It's a mercy to you and I. Which is one of the reasons that we need to be in community So that we can have somebody when I'm in the middle of the doldrums and I'm depressed and I'm frustrated with my life and I'm frustrated with God, that somebody can look at me lovingly and say, maybe this is what's going on. And provide an outside perspective that I can't get on my own. Here's the question for us this morning. If you're a believer, you've been a believer however long, short time, long time, the question is, do we long for more of him? When God does something really great in your life, is the response like to celebrate the great thing that he did for you? He redeemed your marriage. He got you a job. He, when the finances wouldn't add up, he took care of the, the gap when you were trusting him. Those are awesome. But do we build a camp there and celebrate what God did? Or do we celebrate him? And does that cause us to long for more of him? Do we long to know him better. Really, the the contrast as we get into the future between Moses and the people of God, isn't just the fact that Moses just continues to trust him. It's that Moses wants to know God better. Whenever he's on the side of the mountain and God reveals himself to him, what Moses asks is, he says, show me your face. Show me your glory. Don't just Tell me you're going to take the people into the promised land. You go with us. I want to know you. When God, when we see the things that God has done for us, are we excited about that or are we excited about Him? Do we long for His glory in and around us? So here's our question each of us this morning. Where in the journey are you tempted to pull into a rest area? Is it the very beginning and just leaving Egypt and you are hearing very strongly that that siren song saying find comfort here, find security here, find provision here? Is it the uncomfortability of leaving Egypt with a people and knowing that they're gonna know your stuff and you're gonna have to develop relationships? It's gonna be messy and people are gonna leave and people are gonna come and you're gonna be heartbroken and you're just not sure if you can invest in that? You don't want people to know just what, a, kinda, what your family is like, what things are like at home? Or is it the fact that you're thinking that, man, God, His job is to get me to a better marriage, a better friendships, a better place in my finances. But that's not stirring in your heart a longing to know him better. Where in the journey are you tempted to pull into a rest area? Because as we're leaving Egypt on this journey, just as in marriage, God says, you you leave and cleave, You leave your former household and then you cleave to your husband and to your wife. He's calling us to leave Egypt, to cleave to him and to long for more of him. Just like marriage, I leave and I cleave and I continue to long to know Megan better, to love her more, to enjoy her love and her presence in my life and my longing for more of God in my life, to know him better, to understand him better, to spend time with him, to, to see new depths, just as I, the longer I know Megan, I'm married to her, the more depths I see of her, the more there is to love as I figure out new parts of her personality, the longer I know God, I long, I long to know him better. We're called to leave and to cleave and to long. The band's going to come up and I'm going to pray for us. We're going to have about a minute, minute and a half um, just to to stop and to think, to pray and say, God, would you show me maybe an area in my life that I'm tempted to pull into a rest area? Uh, Would you convict me of false comforts and securities and provisions that I'm looking for in the world? Would you convict me of how I'm holding God's community at arm's length because I just don't really want to be that in, in with anybody? Or would you convict me the fact that I've somehow either looked to you for, for you to provide something for me and I've lost the desire for you itself or somehow that's grown dull? Would you revive that in my heart this morning? Father, I pray that uh, you would speak to us this morning, that you would, uh, uh, that we would be uh, reminded or maybe some person here this morning or people uh, who've never uh, placed their faith and trust in you alone, for the first time they would be um, convicted that you've called us to leave Egypt, to leave the world, to leave our enslavement and entanglement and sin and then embark on this journey with you. Now we know that this journey is a journey as you are taking the, the Egypt out of us, the worldly thinking out of us as we still think like we did before we were your children. We think like orphans when we have been adopted into your family. pray you would speak to each of, each of us this morning that you would help us as a community to journey together to you and with you. For your glory and beautiful name, pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.